Welcome back to Chatting Rabbis. This is Eliezer Zalmanov in Munster, Indiana. This is Mendy Hitcher from Istanbul, Turkey. Are we still going by Turkey or Turkia? Oh, let's start again. Hi, Eliezer Zalmanov. This is Mendy Hitcher from Istanbul, Turkey. So is the name catching on? Are people using it more regularly in uh, in speech and writing? I uh, Listen, it is called Turkia in Hebrew. It is called Turkia in Turkish. Um, it is called uh, Turkia in Spanish. So it's just a matter of it catching on in English as well. That's right. It's just a matter of catching on in English as well. So one day, one day. Listen, I think it's made in order to separate from the turkey, the bird. And yeah, that is actually funny, the whole concept. Why is it a bird which comes from the northeast of the United States called turkey? And why would it be called um, in European languages Hindi or Indian, or in, like in Hebrew, Tanagol Hodu? So my my theory is that when the uh, original settlers came to North America, they saw the birds. They thought they were in India, and they just called it the Indian bird or the Indian chicken. Yeah, or rather, not the settlers, but when the bird made its way back to Europe, it came from New India, and people call it a Hindic. Or the Indian bird, but um, I guess uh, for some people uh, this bird this uh, resembled a something that comes from Turkey, a type of a chicken that came from Turkey, and people in some places called it turkey. I think that in some uh, countries they call it the turkey the bird, they call it uh, the French chicken, and other places call it something else. But uh, in any case, it's not French, it's not Turkey, it's not Indian. It's so Turkey and India are not are not next door to each other, like some people in America might uh, <laughs> might believe. Yeah, it is like Mehoidovat Kush, we're going to speak about it at, uh, at our Purim podcast, because um, that is a machlokes, it's a disagreement in the Talmud, the Mehoidu and Kush are one next to each other, far away from each other. It reminds me of a funny story. My brother was once uh, standing outside in front of my parents' house in Crown Heights, and a distant relative of ours walked by, and they're chatting for a few minutes. And the uh, the cousin says, "Oh, how's your brother in Turkey doing?" So my brother mm-hmm. says that my brother doesn't live in Turkey. My brother lives in Indiana. My cousin lives in Turkey. He says, "Oh yeah, but Turkey and Indiana are near each other, right?" <laughs> exactly, very near to yeah. each other. We're 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 exactly. we're, we're near Balev, Karov Balev, in the heart. But, but anyway, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, sometimes we feel like uh, there's that mentality that exists in enclaves of uh, from enclaves, but even in American enclaves, American life, and uh, probably even in in Israel as well, where you don't you don't know much of what goes on beyond your immediate circle, and your horizons have never been expanded, and you've never seen anything past your block, past your neighborhood, you know, and uh, that really exists everywhere. There are people in in uh, Munster, Indiana, that have never been to Chicago. And just to give you an, uh, an idea, I'm in Chicago every day. I bring my kids to school. The people, not to, mm-hmm. of course, they've never been on airplanes. They've uh, never driven more than 10 miles past where their house is. They go to school. They go to the supermarket. They go to the doctor's office. And uh, when the day comes, they get buried a few miles away from their house also. And that's really the end of it. And uh, I think as, as Shluchim, we sometimes forget that the rest of the world uh, lives in their own we call it a bubble, but doesn't necessarily mean a bad, not necessarily in a bad way. But our our horizons have been broadened, and sometimes we see things differently than the way the rest of the world sees it. And our 
approach to many issues in life, our approach to many things, uh, life, life uh, situations, uh, uh, circumstances, and the issues that we deal with are going to be different than people who live in their own in their own cocoon. Great. So that leads me to something that I really wanted to talk to you about, and that is something which, uh, when I, when we were Bachrim, um, young students in the yeshiva. They used to uh, joke, join Chabad and see the world. And, you know, that was a thing that every, I, since I was uh, 15 or 16, every vacation that I had, every holiday, every Jewish vacation, every break from yeshiva, I went to spend um, with other shluchim, with other Chabad rabbis or other Jewish communities around the world. I spent, um, when I was probably, when I studied in New York, for example, I used to go almost every holiday to help out my, who later became a very good friend of mine, Rabbi Barrow Levertov, and I used to spend um, Purim and Pesach and Hanukkah and Rosh Hashanah, and a whole many, many times, spent a couple years, every holiday went to help him out at his Chabad house in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I had a similar relationship with another friend of ours, who also, over the years, has become a very good friend, Rabbi Avramel Sternberg in New London, Connecticut. As a yeshiva bacher, I would go to uh, to uh, southeastern Connecticut and spend Sukkot and Simchas Torah and Purim with him for many years. And you know what, the, but let me tell you what, what I want to get to. I even went to to uh, to Barrow Levertov um, with my newlywed wife um, after we got married. Because what am I going to do for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? What am I going to just be like a regular balabas, go to shul and no pay pay for my seat? No, I go to a shliach. I go to help somebody out to help the Jewish community that needs somebody who could use me out, use my talents or whatever in in singing or in being a chazan. I wore a kittel when I was uh, 21 because I was a chazan for Yom Kippur by a shliach. I wore by Bera Levertov when I was 22 and 23 and 24 a year after, right after I got married. So even though customarily uh, you don't wear a kittel the first year after you're married, but, you know, for the theatrics of things One year like for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I actually went to Beryl's brother, Yossel Levertov, in Austin, Texas. I was, I think, 19 or 20, and he also made me wear a talus and a kittel as the chazan. Right, because that's a respect for the shul. Anyway, after I got married, and so I went to, I was there for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We really had a great time. Um, it was our first... Uh, or, you know, we got married just a couple months before and we uh, had the ability, we got somebody to give us a car and we drove to, to we drove around, you see the beautiful, uh, in the Grand Canyon, we went to Vegas and we, you know, we spent, a, it was a quality time helping the Jewish community. And then, as we're about to leave, so Beryl uh, asked, what, what are your expenses? I said, well, my plane tickets. And then he gave me, I think, a check of like a thousand dollars. I said it's uh, way above my tickets. Tickets were maybe two, three hundred dollars. I don't know, maybe less. This was, you know, twenty something years ago. He said, "No, no, I'm going to give you some money for it." I says, "Money? You're going to give me money for what? I came to uh, to be a chazan for you for Oshaniyim Kippur, not to be uh, to do miftzayim, to do my shluchis. This is who I am. I'm not here for money, and I refuse to take his money. I said, pay for my tickets." Yes, for this you fundraise to pay for my ticket, but why are you not giving me a payment for doing what I have to do, what I should do? And I remind myself this story when I asked a bacher to come down to help me out for some event here, and he asked how much are you going to pay. Yeah, the, I think the attitude has changed, but it, it's changed gradually over time. And today you still, you'll still find bachrim that want to come strictly for the mitzvahim aspect of it. But I think when it comes to Yom Mitzvahim, when it comes to holidays, there's kind of that expectation that it becomes a job. 
if you're good at something, if you have a certain skill, like for example, if you're able to be a chazan, if you're able to sing, if you have a good voice, or if you've even trained to be a singer, and you expect to be paid for your uh, for your efforts because of you have that skill. Uh, let me tell you, I I think with all put you know put all humility on the side. I have the skill. <laughs> I have the skill. Maybe I don't uh, I don't know exactly all the tunes. I I are not bad. I know the tune for Rosh Yom Kippur. Sometimes I mix between Geshem and Neila, but that doesn't matter. It happens. And nobody knows the difference except for the people on Twitter. Exactly. Nobody knows the difference anyway. But even if it doesn't matter, usually I figure out, like, you know, by the second I, 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 I really figure it's not Geshem, but it's supposed to be Neila. But it's fine. And you know what? Everybody compliments me after the, after the davening. It's pure, perfectly fine, and I could do it. Not too bad. Definitely better than a lot of these Bachim are coming. Why should I pay? I don't get paid to be a chazan in shul. I'm, I volunteer my time, volunteer my voice, volunteer my talents, volunteer my, my character, volunteer who I am. Because this is who I am. I was brought up to be a shliach of the Rebbe. I was brought up to give away everything that I have for the cause of Yiddishkeit. And that is who I am. There's that presumption or that, that assumption that shluchim are, for, are somehow rolling in cash. And we have money uh, up uh, up to our eyes and uh, why not share it a little bit with the poor bachar that doesn't have anything and the obvious uh, reality is that that's not true and the shluchim are uh, like we live from hand to mouth and we fundraise we pay our bills and we fundraise more and we pay our other bills and it's a constant flow of coming and going and yes mifsayim has expenses and running your high holiday services has expenses and sometimes you have to pay a flight like you said if that's an actual cost but uh, but uh, to make it a job you know listen you have some shuls that have thousands of members thousands of dues paying members and they're very well off and well greased and then you hire a professional chazan who earns his keep i don't know if on the caliber of Helfgut or someone like that but you hire someone who trains all year for this and this is his living but then when it comes to, to yeshiva bachram who feel like there's money why not uh, why not stick my hand into the pot and take some for myself as well and that's where it becomes a little uh, a little nauseating let me tell you i remember a couple years ago i uh, uh, Shliach asked me to deliver matzah to one of his balabatim who was in a different city. Um, a Shliach from Europe. And after that, he calls me up. So I, I sent him a box of matzah. After that, he calls me up. He asked me if I, that he wants to pay, reimburse me for, for the sending of the matzah. I said, Why should you reimburse me to send the matzah? We, we are both working for the cause. I use, he asked me to send matzah. The yid needs matzah. I have matzah. I sent the matzah. Why do you have to pay me back for the, for the matzah? I mean, wh- 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 where does it come from? This whole concept of making the whole thing into a monetary exchange is totally foreign to me. I get irked by it. I really get irked by it. I mean, if you're a singer, or you're a married singer, you have to bring panosa to your family. That's something else. Okay, that's, that's your profession. The same way I pay for to buy shoes. I pay for somebody to fix my air conditioning. I pay for entertainment for my event, the events that I want to make, bring for my community. And yes, okay, that's, that's how much you charge. That's something else. That's your job. But if you're a bacher, if you're a bacher, that's your, per, your, your, your student in yeshiva, now yeshiva. You're, 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 you're a chassid of the Rebbe. I think you should be expected and definitely, I'm expecting a bacher to do things for the cause. Yes, I'll pay for your ticket. I'll pay for your, for your, for your room and board. 
You will eat with us. Whatever we eat, you eat. I'll pay you, put you in a hotel, not put you in a junkie hotel, not put you in a five-star hotel, put you in a normal hotel where you could, you know, be comfort comfortable. Be a mensch, be menschlich, pay for your ticket. But what is that? You're expecting a pay for doing what you have to do? It just irks me. It, I'm with you on that. I totally, uh, totally get it, and I totally have the same feeling. I, I have the advantage of... Uh... Uh, for the last uh, 15 plus years that for high holidays for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur I don't have to hire a chazan my father is my chazan and uh, my father has a pretty good voice knows the nusach very well and he has a lot of uh, practice now coming to us for uh, for 15 plus years and uh, not only do I not have to pay him he also pays his own ticket to come because he wants to spend Yantif with us so yeah, we have the best of both worlds I remember when I was in yeshiva I had a friend who had a, had a decent voice and he had an uncle who was a shliach in South America in a pretty big country in South America with a very large Jewish community. So every year for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, his uncle would fly him down to be his chazan in his Chabad house. And that same city had two very large Orthodox shuls, and they would also hire two chazanim, but a lot more uh, professional and a much higher caliber, and they would pay them several thousand dollars each. And uh, my friend, sitting on the same bench as me in yeshiva, was joking. And he would say, me and these two uh, big chazanim are flying to Brazil together. Okay, now I gave away the name of the country. Uh, to be uh, to be chazanim. Uh, and uh, they're, they're bringing the three expert chazanim from New York to, to lead services in, uh, in Brazil. And uh, in the meantime, he's not getting paid anything because he's doing it as a favor for his uncle who's a shliach. And the other two guys are, uh, are doing well. And it's their right. They, they trained for it and they're going to professional uh, big congregations that have, the, uh, that have the money for it. But when you're going to a shliach and you know that the shliach is not, is not making money off of his high holiday services and you know that the shliach is barely making ends meet and the right thing to do. And, and by the way, we, there, there are still good bachram today that do, do it for the right reasons and they do it for the, uh, for the cause. We have uh, Yeshiva Bachram coming to us from Chicago every year for various Mifzayim, for Purim, for Hanukkah. And you know, they'll ask if we can chip in to pay for their transportation or either to pick them up or to help them uh, pay to, for a car rental. And uh, for Hanukkah, they ask the, the Shluchim to chip in a little bit to help with their general Mifzayim, to help them uh, buy menorah kits and so on. And we're happy to do that because they give us a lot more than uh, what we're able to give them back. But like you said, we're all in this for the same cause and we're all working for the same purpose and we all, we're all working for the same boss. And uh, it's, not, uh, it's not a matter of who owes whom money. This is probably also part of a much larger conversation, and I don't know if we have time to get into it today because I think we can take up a whole episode of talking about uh, shluchim uh, getting along with each other and uh, allowing their egos to get involved rather than the cause. Oh, that's something I gave up already a long time ago. So we're not we're not even gonna we're not even gonna touch on that. But on, only only to mention that it's all a symptom of the same issue. That, that when it becomes about you and it becomes about your uh, your personality and your ego and your biases, rather than the bigger picture, rather than the cause that we all supposedly all believe in and share, then uh, yeah, then that, that's what's gonna happen. But you know, that, that's one thing. When okay. Somebody who's married and this, you know, this whole disgusting territorial issue that there is in, in Lubavitch, whatever. I don't want to get into that either. That's uh, we could talk about it at another time. But really irks me to see Bachrim fall into that pit. I mean, if you will have an opportunity now to do something lishma, just for the sake of doing what the Rebbe wanted from you. Why wouldn't you do it? No, 100%. And that's, if, if you need compensation, if you need to be paid for it, that's the biggest payment. 
doing something lishma, doing something for the right reasons and knowing that this is what the Rebbe wants you to do and this is where a Bakr should be spending his free time. And just like a Bakr doesn't charge uh, Tzach in, in Brooklyn f to be able to uh, go on Miftayim on Friday uh, in, in Manhattan, it's the same thing. That's this is what we do in our free time. We, we're not we're not uh, we're not mercenaries. We're not looking for uh, for the next job and the next uh, and the next hire. I, I, I mentioned uh, I mentioned that uh, that I used to spend a lot of times as a bacher in uh, in New London, Connecticut, by our friend Rabbi Sternberg. I remember the first year that I was there for Sukkot, he had this idea. He was probably there for two years as, as a new shliach, and he asked me to come with a friend from Crown Heights for, for Sukkot to help with the minion in his shul, and, and during the Cholamay to do Mivtzayim and to drive a Sukkot mobile, and then to uh, liven up a little bit the, the hakafas in his shul for some Fastera. So on the first day of Cholamay, he rented a, uh, a pickup truck for us, and we built, me and one other yeshiva bacher with two left hands, built a Sukkot mobile. Uh, out of wood, we went to Home Depot and we bu we bought a lot of wood, and we attached it to the back of the pickup truck. And what do, what do we know? We got onto the highway. And the next thing we know, there's wood, <laughs> lumber, panels, and plywood, and two by fours flying all over the highway. <laughs> we made a quick U-turn, and we see there's a there's a police officer over there trying to figure out what just happened. <laughs> we just kept going. We went back home, and we started all over. We called Rabbi Grossbaum's father-in-law. I'm sorry, Rabbi Sternberg's father-in-law, who's Rabbi Grossbaum from Minnesota, who is an expert handyman. And on the phone, he told us exactly how to build a uh, a sukkumobile that's not going to fall off of the back of a pickup truck. And uh, no, we didn't we didn't charge for that. It was part of the experience. It was part of the. Uh, the the learning curve for every for all of us. That's right. So that's something that. Uh, what should I tell you? <laughs> I mean, okay, we, that's seriously, guys. If I know that many bachim are listening to me, to us here, I know last week when I was in Crown Heights for the Kinnas Shluchim, um, many bachim came to. Uh, they thought they're gonna hear some controversial things from me, uh, and they, okay, but you know, I'm not. I'm not that controversial person. Definitely not in in person, uh, and and uh, you know. But I know that you guys are listening. Take it to heart. Pass it on to your friends. It's really not the way you should do it. You have time to make money, Mirz Hashem. If you want to go into business, you could even sell mezuzahs if you want and be a, a one of those uh, vendors who sell things to shluchim. Don't do that now when you're a bachur in yeshiva. Don't do it now when your job is to actually do what the Rebbe wants from you. Either you learn, or if you don't learn, go do shluchas. But shluchas doesn't mean that you get paid for it. Get compensated for your expenses. Um, uh, definitely doesn't mean that the shliach who's uh, who's taking you down to help him out. You should mean that you should uh, work you out like a slave. No, he should be a mensch. That's also something we could talk about. Shliach should be a mensch. The job should be reasonable. You could also have some free time to enjoy the environment, to enjoy the place where you go to visit. Get to visit some people. You get to. Um, you get to know a new, a new culture, as you mentioned before, learning a new culture definitely will add a lot, broaden your horizons, add a lot to your experience in life, we teach you how to deal with people, with situations, um, definitely add a lot to your experience on how to be a mensch and how to be a shliach and how to do your job. Not necessarily all of us do our preferred, perfect job, but you can also learn from our mistakes and learn from our shortcomings and things that we could and should do better. All these things are very, very true, and all these things are, yes, that is what we should do and we have to do. At the same time, at the same time, don't take advantage.
the shluchim shouldn't be taking advantage of the bachrim. It works both ways. Yes, but shluchim shouldn't take, shouldn't take Nobody should take advantage of anybody. We're all working for the cause. We're all trying to do the right thing. You know, we're trying to help Judaism survive. We help another Jew to do another mitzvah. We make Judaism more accessible for many for Jews. We're not asking for a reward in this world. Hardly asking for any reward in the world to come. We want Mashiach to come in this world. It is a. It is a. No, we gotta work. We gotta work. We gotta. We, this is this is the zechel kenu This is our part. Our part is work. Hayom The day is short. The work is plenty. Balaba is doichik. Our boss is demanding. It's very demanding. Very much. More than more than a than a usual, more than a regular boss. Okay, yeah, you have a guy got a got a job cut out for you. A few extra white hairs. I think that the shluchim that drive Lexus can pay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just just uh, I just remembered another another story, and then we'll don't cut out, don't cut out this line when you edit it. I don't edit. This is pretty much uh, the way we say it is the way it comes up. Um, I just take out the background noise sometimes. But I just one one last story before we uh, before we wrap up. I was also recently married, and I was planning on staying for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in Crown Heights. And I got a call from a friend who had a friend who was a shliach in New Jersey who needed a chazan for shachras, for, uh, Yom, for Rosh Hashanah. Um, he had a chazan that he was hiring for Musaf, for the big part, and he needed a, uh, a second chazan to do shachras. So I, he asked me if I was available. I said, sure, no problem. I'll come with my wife. All, all I'm asking is that you put us up in a hotel, give us a hotel room. No problem. He gave us a hotel room. I, I wasn't being paid, and I wasn't expecting, I wasn't asking for anything. And I was sitting next to uh, this other chazan, the guy that was davening Musaf, during uh, Kriya Satera, during the Torah reading. And I was uh, you know, looking through the back pages of the machzer, of the prayer book, and I noticed there that it says that it's customary that the following people receive an aliyah on Rosh Hashanah. The chazan for Shachris, the chazan for Musaf, and the baltakeya, the person who blows shoifer. So the uh, the other chazan was a koyen. So on both days of, of Rosh Hashanah, he got the first aliyah as koyen. And when he came back down, I think on the second day, I asked him, by the way, are you getting paid? So he, he was very flabbergasted. He thought that I was like trying to catch him in, uh, in, a, in a corner and put him in a corner and put him up against the wall. He's like, well, uh, yeah. I told him, no, I'm just asking because I see it says over here in the back of the machzor that the chazan has to has to get an aliyah, and says, except if he's getting paid. If he's getting paid, then he doesn't have to get an aliyah. So he says, oh, well, yeah, I'm not really getting paid as much as I'm worth, so I still d- deserve the aliyah. <laughs> anyway, that was the story. So you told him that you are getting paid as much as you are I told him I'm not getting paid anything, and I don't need the aliyah, it's okay. We're <laughs> Everybody ended up, uh, everything ended off peacefully. And I remember when I was, um, I think, 17, it was the first Tishrei after the Rebbe's passing. I was in, uh, I think, for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, I was at the oil. There was nobody there, maybe 20, 30 people. For the for Sukkot, the first days, I think I was in Kran Heights by my grandparents. And for the for Simchas Toy, I met an Hoshain Rabba. I met Rabbi um, Avraham Hoshamtev, and he asked me if I could please come to uh, join him. Uh, together with two other friends, Shalom Wilhelm and Shalom Goldschmidt, to join him for Simchas Torah, because uh, it is the first time that there'll be people there. Okay, anyway, so he gave us his car. It was an old Chrysler, 
At that time, he received the Chrysler's because Ronnie Perlman, his friend, was the owner of Chrysler at the time. <laughs> so he got an old Chrysler. I think he received then a new Chrysler, and he gave us his old Chrysler. And we started driving, you know, we figured it would take how many hours? Two and a half hours, three hours to Philadelphia. And we started driving. We had no cell phone, of course. In 1994, it was. It was, you know, two, three months after that was passing. And we drive, and we go on the way. And, of course, as it is, the car uh, just stops, dies in the middle of the highway. And, okay, we decided to leave the car there. And we'll start walking towards Philadelphia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After half an hour walk, a cop picks, up, picks us up and drives us back to our car because he not let I drive, not let I leave a car unattended on the on the highway, on the New Jersey Parkway, whatever it is, Turnpike. Anyway, okay, so we we're cl getting getting closer to Shabbos. Okay, we sit in the car. The cop called a, a tow truck, and the tow truck towed us all the way to the tow booth where it started to become dark. And we decided, okay, now it's time for us to start walking because it's really umptive. All we knew was the address 226 Castor Avenue, Philadelphia. We have no idea, there's no, we have nothing on us. We left our, all our bags, everything in the car, but we knew that Rabbi Shemta will know that we're on the way because we gave the tow truck the address and probably the car and the tow truck is going to just drop the car in front of 226 Castor Avenue Philadelphia I think we walked for like 5-6 hours from the entrance to Philadelphia all the way to uh, and we obviously didn't know the way and we got mixed up and we lost the way and we found anyway we ended up there I think by the 7th Hakafa after they had their meal after they had it was yeah, it was close to twelve o'clock at night, and uh, it was one of our most. I recently spoke about it to uh, my good friend Rabbi Shalom Gottfried, who later became a shaliach in Philadelphia in the same area. He liked it so much. He liked it so much, and it definitely was a memorable uh, event, a memorable simchas Torah to spend with Rabbi Avraham Moshemtov. Um, you know, watching him, learning from him. As I said before, you learn from shluchim all all different types of stuff. Yeah, you learn from them how to uh, how to behave and how uh, to do things on your own way, to put it mildly. But it definitely left a big mark. At that time, also we had uh, with us at, uh, uh, my good friend, my classmate uh, Nahumi Sasankin, who was uh, on rehab over there after the shooting on the bridge on the Brooklyn Bridge, um, which ha on the Brooklyn Bridge, which happened uh, seven months before before. And uh, he was there with his uh, with his family. He came during the day. He was wheeled in uh, for Simchas Torah. That was actually one of the main reasons why we agreed to go uh, for Simchas Torah to to the. Anyway, quite an interesting experience. Yeah. So the me the message is uh, go help Shluchim. You never know what kind of uh, interesting experience you'll have. Bottom line. Exactly. Exactly. Sleeping in the basement of Avraham Shemtov. Uh, Rabbi Shemtov and his wife for uh, three days well, definitely was a very interesting experience. I'm sure. And uh, today there will be different kinds of experiences. So uh, go out there, do the right thing, help out. I'm not going to put you in the basement and put you in a hotel. Just be a mensch about And it. you'll be happy you did. All the best. Good talking to you, Eliezer. See you. Bye. Bye.